And welcome to Small Screen Science, the podcast where we look at the science behind our favourite TV shows. I'm Karen. I'm Emma, and this episode we're calling Super Stitch Science. <laughs> Quite a tongue twister to start that one <laughs> off with. Because we are donning our best garms to discuss mm. the science of clothes and the perils of fast fashion through mm. the lens, of course, of the charming show that is The Great British Sewing Bee. Yes, and as always, don't forget to watch out for our sewing references and quotes throughout the show. We've shoehorned quite a few into this episode, haven't we? We have. I'm quite liking it. Mm. Yes, yes, we are bursting at the seams (laughs) to get Uh, as many in as possible. Uh, And as ever, we'll we'll give you a little list of them at the end. Yeah, so are you thready to go? (laughs) (laughs) I like like thready to go. That's really good. I think think you might be a little bit a sociopath. Oh, that one work? That yeah, one I think so. maybe works a little bit better written down. Yeah, the so-based ones seem to, don't they? Mm. The S-E-W folks, S-E-W. So, sociopath. So, Karen, have you have you seen the show then? Do you like it? I have. The I'm a bee? big, big fan. I absolutely love it. It's great fun. I loved Claudia Winkleman when she um, was host and Joe Lysett is just superb at it. And obviously... Um, I'm a big fan of Patrick and Esme as well. I think they're the perfect foils for the for the program. Brilliant, great fun. Mm. Mm. I've I've only seen one or two episodes. I confess, mm. which is not like me because this is the sort of show that I would get really into. All of the pottery uh, and the Bake Off have, have have gone down an absolute storm in my house, mm-hmm. and I love a bit of sewing. Um, and now that I have started watching it, I love Joe Lycett. Mm. Also, really like Patrick for yeah for yeah. for. for, for cosmetic reasons <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a bit yeah. of a dish isn't he it but is yeah a bit it's of a great dish, yeah mm. but the, the, so the episode i watched in preparation for this one mm. they were making uh they were upcycling jackets well it was what was it men's gentlemen's oh, wear men's, or something wasn't week. it yeah it's men's week yeah yeah mm. and um one of the ladies made a fantastic kind of very statement jacket out of yeah. other bits of old jacket but mm. my favorite bit was um she was like oh this bit's still got functional pockets and she popped some popped some sweets in there and <laughs> if i'm honest that's how you get me on board with a garment i will not yes. wear anything if there's no pockets in an outfit pockets. i like i don't feel safe it was really interesting placing as well wasn't it because when she did it i was kind of like oh would I? oh no yeah you could definitely use a pocket there definitely pop work. a little it would pro- work. properly on the side yeah um, around the ribcage pocket yeah it was mm, great marvelous um, so I'm going to love- start watching it more often now. I think you've got. Yeah, no, it. I think you should. I think you'll love it. And um, what I I learnt something new. I learnt where denim came from. Mm. And I never knew that before. Serge Denim. Mm. Yeah, there Good you name, go. So it? yeah, I like it. Yeah, I just assumed it was. You know, I assumed it was in America because you always think of America and jeans and all that kind of stuff. I didn't yeah. realise it was a French fabric. Um, and then uh, obviously the utility jacket in the final. Oh yeah, they made, <laughs> the, they made the most amazing utility oh, jackets. Oh my goodness, absolutely amazing! And the the commentary about you know you need lots and lots of pockets because you need somewhere to put your map, your grenade, and your sandwich. <laughs> you, you do, you do. If if one needs to have a practical day, one mm. needs to make sure one has got a pocket for one sandwich. Absolutely, I completely pocket agree with this. <laughs> yes, I've never found uh, that I need to take a grenade anywhere with me yet. No, but yeah, food yeah. always on person. Absolutely, absolutely, food and a map, and you're ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you sew? Do you reckon you would go on this show? Like we've said, you know, we'd we'd love to go on Bake Off and pottery, definitely. But um, you reckon you'd give this one a go? 
I can sew, uh, but I'm very basic. My hand sewing is absolutely appalling, mm. I have to say. Um, I can't sew in a straight line. Uh, but I can use the sewing machine. Uh, but I, um, yeah, I don't know if I'd be good enough to. I've Maybe never the done pattern garment. challenge would be good then for you. Yeah, like set some set instructions. Yeah, I think so. Something that I could follow. Although mm. it was a Baker Boy hat this week, wasn't it? So that was quite tough. That looked so. actually, yeah, that looked quite mm. tricky. I yeah. did. Uh, I don't want to brag, mm. but for my textiles GCSE, I got full marks. Oh. Oh, but no, that the is problem is, <laughs> I I now have a really overinflated sense of how good I am at sewing. <laughs> so maybe you need to go on the show. Maybe you need to apply if you if you're I, feeling that confident to get to get kicked out in round one. Yeah. So like all, all sorts of things around the house. I'm constantly repairing my clothes. The other mm. day I made like a kind of a poof thing for my new lounge so we can rest our feet on. And I I'm quite arrogant and like I won't follow a pattern because I'll be like, oh no, I can oh. see it in my head. And then hope that it turns out right. I mean, I'm not very good at taking instructions in most areas of my life. So perhaps that's something that's translated <laughs> there. I won't follow a pattern. I made a set of curtains, but that was all straight lines. So, oh, yeah. You know, I've made yeah. some curtains for this house. Straight but yeah, lines. that's the thing. So I think I would like love to do it. But I, mm. I definitely am not good enough, even if part of my brain goes, <laughs> yeah. You're all right at sewing. Uh, I've got nothing on these guys. I wouldn't. Nef- I would definitely have not made um, a good utility jacket. I would have needed at least like three times the amount of time to make one. So, well, that's the thing. It's the timed challenge bit, isn't yeah. it? Is the you know, if you could give me all the time in the world, I'm sure I could produce a nice frock. But mm. give me a few hours, not so much. Well, that's mm. why I quite like the idea of trying the transformation challenge. Oh yes, because yeah. then you can you are given this kind of total creative license, and you are given just some strange garments, mm. and it, it's all about what could you create out of it. It doesn't necessarily need to be something that you would see in the high street, or you could actually give to someone to wear. It's no. like, hey, be creative, do some stuff. That would be quite yeah. fun, I think. Yeah, definitely, and that's and that's you could see that happening in you know universities across the country, can't you? In like textiles degrees and that kind of thing, and fashion. Mm. You know, let's let's take something and upcycle it. That's really mm. nice. Really nice idea, I think. So, I mean, you and I are not alone. Apparently, 66% mm. of people in the UK say they know how to sew. I'm not mm-hmm. sure whether I'm surprised by that. To start with, I I, I almost thought it would be lower. Did like you? 66 I mean, well, isn't too bad. When you burrow into the details, 80% of women... I was I was going to ask you if you knew the gender split. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 So 80, 80% of the 66% were women. Yeah. yeah and I mean, I, interesting. I only have garnered some skills in in sewing because both my mum and my grandma would sew stuff and make things my mum made yeah. loads of bridesmaid dresses for all of her friends her own wedding dress all of these things so I've grown up in a house where mum's always making stuff mm-hmm. so that made me interested in using a sewing machine and putting things together and being able to create stuff I think if I hadn't had that part of my upbringing I maybe wouldn't have been interested in studying it at school and maybe I wouldn't have bothered to pick up those skills and I certainly wouldn't have got a sewing machine for my 18th birthday <laughs> <laughs> that's true I mean my great-grandma was uh Taylor really yes so ah, she was so a it's tailor. in the and blood then, yeah and then my my nan used to knit all my jumpers for when I was at school and Aww. that kind of stuff so she was a knitter so mm. yeah mm. so would you um following on the theme of things that we're looking about like we, we talked mm. a little bit about upcycling would you ever buy secondhand clothes I have I have done it yeah Mm. Well, apparently only 25% of the UK would ever buy secondhand clothes or accessories. Which is interesting, which is isn't it? not that many. No. I, underst- I understand the initial reservation to doing it, perhaps mm. I can... But as someone who buys... probably, I would say about 50% of what I buy is secondhand. Oh, right, okay, quite high then. Yeah, yeah. of the last recent, the last couple of years. Mm. 
But I think that is in part because loads more people are doing it. So there's lots more options of secondhand things. And yeah, you don't have to go to a yeah. charity shop to buy a secondhand either. There are eBay and Depop yeah, are really great true. places. Yeah. Um, but I can I, maybe I get the feeling around not necessarily buying secondhand accessories. Maybe a bag or a hat I could I could do, but I don't know how I feel about shoes. shoes. Not sure about shoes. Yeah, yeah. perhaps. Mm. But um, but okay. So that's twenty five percent of mm. the UK. Only four percent of people agree that they only buy sustainable fashion. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Is that down to availability, do you think? Uh, making a conscious decision to yeah, buy I sustainable? Yeah, I think there's several things. So, mm. so yes, you've already got to be off the mind to be looking for sustainable items because yeah. they're not shoved front and centre in your consumer purchasing decision anyway. Mm. Um, also, a lot of them are more expensive. They're not necessarily as accessible that's as true. fast fashion. Fast fashion, of mm. course, being what we're going to talk about. I mean, the obvious, the obvious things mm. to talk about when we're talking about a sewing show, isn't there? It's a, yeah. it, it's fast fashion, but yeah. So four, four percent. I think that four percent is growing. I can feel the appetite growing for more sustainable. Yeah. There, there are lots more companies popping up who are conscious about what they're making their products from and how they're making them. But yeah, four percent is a little for someone who's quite environmentally minded. I would yeah. like to see 4% rise. <laughs> well, well, it was quite interesting because when you looked at the YouGov poll, 18, if you include people who said they somewhat agree with that statement, so maybe they do some, a bit. but not oh, others, yeah, it that, it then it goes up to 18%, but that's still mm. not that high. No. Uh, but that's a big jump from 4%. Do you know what? I actually probably would put myself in the somewhat category. I, mm. I'm, you know, to solely buy a sustainable fashion can be quite an expensive it's decision. It's quite tough, I think. Mm. Yeah, quite tough. Well, anyway, so we, we actually need to thank someone, yes, don't we? We so, do indeed. Lovely listener and Twitter follower Charlotte M. Bird gave us the idea for this episode. Yeah. It was kind of on our radar, wasn't it? Mm. And then she uh, she pointed us in some fun directions, didn't she? Yeah, she, she showed us um, some research about a completely recyclable suit. Mm, now you now think we're talking. Clothing is recyclable. You think that automatically, don't you? But it turns out it's, it's actually quite tricky. Um, and we know that the the show, you know, the second round, we've talked about it already, haven't we, about mm. upcycling, the transformation challenge being about upcycling. So we felt actually recyclability of clothes was actually quite an interesting route to have a look at initially in the programme. It is, definitely. Mm. So like, I mean, not only are, there's kind of two elements you can look at as well, isn't there? There's mm. um, whether the fibres can be recycled and whether they actually do get recycled are two yes. kind of sticking points in that chain. So, um, mm. you know, when we send clothing off to be recycled if we do because a lot of people won't do that um I, I think we don't really think about what happens after that mm. we're not connected to the rest of that process you just think i've done my good bit it's yeah, being recycled yeah, yeah. it will become something else but actually quite a lot of discarded clothes are really hard to recycle mm -hmm. and it's easier for a lot of companies to just shove them in landfill or burn them both of which create huge methane emissions particularly so we, we know that we get a lot of carbon emissions and methane from burning but then also if you're if you're putting things in landfill, especially if you're using natural fibres like cotton, mm. when that yeah. breaks down in landfill, again, just releases a whole load of methane. So yeah. not exactly great for the environment. But actually, mm. these two processes occur, not just for clothes that we've sent off to be recycled that they can't be bothered to recycle or are too difficult to recycle. This mm. actually also happens with a lot of um, like high street retailers who, um, under the banner of fast fashion, so this is this concept of creating clothes really quickly getting them to market really quickly and then people only wearing them for a small period of time yeah maybe one summer or something like that yeah yeah and then and then going and then going 
to basically be thrown away. Mm. So a lot of this um, creates a lot of overstock that isn't sold. Mm -hmm. And so things that won't get sold or even things that are returned online and aren't returned to a store, um, it's easier for them to just get rid of it rather than store it in a warehouse and deal with it and sort it because they've produced it so cheaply. Yeah. They're like, ah, not making that much of a loss. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. So um, before I, you know, climb <laughs> even higher onto my soapbox, <laughs> yeah, we I mean, need you... to have a look at the, some of the, the science behind better yeah. ways to recycle stuff, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Because, because one of the issues is if you think about a piece of clothing that you send away to recycle, it's going to potentially have zips, buttons, poppers, studs. I mean, if you think about a pair of jeans in particular... Thinking about mm. all those little so bits of metal. some kind of fastenings, mm. aren't we? Unless we're living in loungewear. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and, and actually, in order for those clothes to be recycled, they have to be removed. And that is normally a manual process. So that adds mm. to time and cost of trying to recycle clothes. That, that creates a difficulty initially. And then if you take something like a 100% cotton T-shirt, so you think, right, mm. that's 100% cotton, easy to recycle, not so much because it's going to have mm. a tag on it and that tag is likely to have polyester in it. And actually some of the thread that's used to sew the T-shirt might well be made of polyester as well, just for strengthening mm. the seams and that kind of thing. And that generates issues over recycling. Yeah, I mean, polyester, of course, being a synthetic man-made polymer, mm. um, you know, it's made from oil. It's plastic, mm. basically. Exactly. It's, it's just plastic spun into a yarn. So, so this clothing has to be separated out into the different types of fabric. So if you took, for example, mm. um, and that episode on, of uh, Sewing Bee and they were looking at the jackets and you think about, you know, you've got the buttons on the jackets, the lining is a different material to the rest of the jacket. You've got the labels, which is a different material again. And that's if mm. the materials themselves are 100% of one particular fibre within, you know, yeah, a top. A lot of them are blends. Got a blended fibre and that makes it difficult as well. We, we make things for performance, but not for like... Not end life, yeah. Uh, reuse, do we? Yeah. So, um, you know, to help overcome this problem, a few quite creative mm. solutions have arisen yeah. that we've managed to find. One of which is a company called Resotex, which has basically invented a thread that you use for stitching mm. all of the pieces together, which will dissolve under high temperatures. So that could potentially allow for clothing to be completely dismantled at the end of its life. Yeah, and they, they actually won a Global Change Award. And this is like an innovative um, kind of innovation challenge award that you can get. And it's designed to help try and um, encourage this movement from linear to circular fashion so from fast mm. fashion to circular fashion basically um but of course the issue is is you know all these science tech companies might be making these changes and making it all amazing and fantastic but we also have to have behavioral change as well yeah absolutely you can create all of these garments and things in certain ways but you've also got to the public have got to be buying them mm. more so than they are other items that are less sustainable but also it's a resourcing issue as well like you can yes produce something that is recyclable but if you don't have recycling facilities mm. that are easy to access yeah. or you know that's that presents a whole other thing otherwise you just get a build-up of stuff that if it's not easily recycled ends up in landfill um and you've also have a look if you're if you're playing the like real sustainability bingo, mm. you've got to have a look at the energy usage of the recycling yes. plant. So we know that this one requires a lot of heat. It requires a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. Is the simpler option going to be oh, we'll just chuck it in landfill? Yeah. You know, yeah, it's really tough. So uh, anyway, on to the next eco issue. We know, of course, that growing plants to produce materials. So you've mentioned mm. cotton. Cotton's a crop that we grow. It will require a lot of water and a lot of land. So cotton is a really, really thirsty mm. crop. And often uh, a lot of pesticides will be used in the kind of 
crop yield increasing yeah. process, which is fairly terrible for the surrounding environment. So some of the other winners of this Global Change Award that you've just mentioned have had a look at other alternatives mm. to instead of using land to instead be growing cotton in a lab from cells. So this I found really interesting. So obviously we know we're growing meat from mm. cells in labs. <laughs> I find it quite interesting. You know, maybe this skirts some of the ethical issues that people won't be interested in lab-grown mm. meat, but they may not be so bothered about lab-grown cotton. Mm. But again, probably quite resource-heavy as well until it becomes like quite easy to manufacture. Mm. But then also you can turn other things other non-traditional fibre crops, so things like nettles and algae and even like byproducts of citrus juice and, and even mushroom roots mm. into versions of fabric. They're just, they're just not fabrics that we traditionally know and use at the moment. So that could be really interesting, particularly with algae, because you can grow that. That's really easy to grow, isn't it? Just big fats. Everywhere, yeah, exactly. all over the place. Um, mm. One of my favourite winners of the award, actually, this is really interesting, is using self-healing squid genes to create biodegradable fabric which is not only biodegradable, but self-healing as well. This is cool. <laughs> so it can be really used for protective, you know, protective clothing. Um, but it also, and this is the important thing, it minimises the shredding of microfibres into the washes. And that's, you know, that's crucial. Yeah. yeah so if you haven't heard about microfibres, uh, where have you been? <laughs> is my first question. Um, so this, this ties in with the whole plastic and the environment mm. issue. So microfibers or microplastics, kind of interchangeable, um, are things which are less than five millimeters in mm. length. And the issue with microfibers, so basically they're, as we've said, like polyester, viscose, uh, lots of the things that we'll make our clothes yeah. from are made of plastic. They will shed these tiny little bits of plastic mm. that end up in the water. You do your wash, that ends up in the environment. And because they're so small, we don't really see them, but they will bioaccumulate in the food yeah. chain. They will be eaten by all sorts of bits and bobs. Uh, so like, say they're eaten by a small fish and then a medium fish eats 10 small mm. fish. They end up with the, the stomach contents of those 10 small fish's worth of plastic yeah. and so on and so forth. And, and you can find microfibers have permeated every single landscape in every single environment in, in yeah. the world these days even in the sea ice in like antarctica you can find traces of microfibers mm. so what well, that's that's one of the things it's one of the less obvious ways of trying to reduce plastic pollution yeah. and the problem of plastic pollution is trying to deal with microfibers mm. yeah and you mentioned as well just there didn't you about circular fashion mm. circular economies so it's really having a look at circular fashion and the concept of circular fashion <laughs> sorry can you tell i like the environment <laughs> it's really it's really important mm. from an environmental perspective so this is basically where if we're if we're imagining things as a as an ever-evolving wheel a circle mm. garments are designed they're created they're sourced in such a way that they can have a long a life whilst being a, a useful item but once they reach that kind of point where there would usually be the end of the garment's mm. life it doesn't just get chucked. It can be returned to the manufacturing process, recycled, and then turned into the next version of it. So this wheel keeps turning yeah. um, so that you don't end up with the output of a dead item. Yeah. It is inputted back into the cycle. It's really yeah. cool. And that's, and you know, that idea is, is brilliant. It's a really, really good idea. And the reason why it's really important is because if we look globally um, at how much material used for clothing ends up being recycled, we're talking 12% which is Mad, nothing. Um, and that means that 92 million tonnes of textile waste is created every single year. 
and 98 million tonnes of oil is used globally to create fabrics and textiles. Yeah, you don't you don't think about there being like a, a, a petroleum no. oil cost to fabric, do you? It's just shocking, isn't it? Nuts. And then the last one, Nuts. which is which is really surprising, it really shocked me. This is the knife in yeah, the back. Is, is the that. fashion industry is responsible for 10% of all greenhouse gas emissions and 20% of global wastewater. Just yeah. for the just and, for the clothes on your back. You'll find You'll find other stats mm. as well. Uh, there are different ways of calculating that, but they are all around that point where it's a significant mm. chunk. Like if if fast fashion was a country, it would rank among the highest polluting countries in terms of carbon emissions, yeah. which is mad, shocking. isn't Absolutely it? Shocking. Mm. So can I do some right, recommendations? Right, soapbox time, everybody. Because <laughs> <I am. laughs> we, we told you what the, the problem is. That we have said have distressed yes. you. <laughs> we told you what the problem is. Here's some of the solutions. Here are a couple yes. of solutions. So making sustainable clothing choices. Mm. Yay. First things first, the most sustainable item you can wear is something that you already own. Uh, it's really hard and I don't quite know what the answer is, but we somehow need to break this cycle of not wearing the same thing twice and not being seen in the same item twice and, and just not making mm. do. And this constant need for mm. new. Um, and if you do need new, one of the next options you can also do, which is much better, is I've already mentioned eBay and Depop mm-hmm. for secondhand clothes, but also charity mm. shops. You know, have a little look. It saves things going to landfill. Donate your clothes to charity shops as well. Um, it saves resources on materials and the transport of new items being made. You can also swap with your friends, your families, your co-workers, organise a, a clothes swap drive, because a lot of the time you might just be a little bit tired of something that you've worn, but it's still in perfectly good condition. Mm. And maybe one of your co-workers has been eyeing it yeah. up all year and they're like mm, I'd mm-hmm. have that yes please um, and then when it comes to actually buying stuff if you can afford to and this is a big sticking yeah. point it is a privilege to be able to buy a lot of the sustainable options out there because they're often a higher bracket of, co- of mm. price but um, if you can buy better it should last longer yeah that's true so it's, it's mm. that initial investment um, if, you, if you're looking for cotton things have a look at organic because organic cotton you know a lot of as i said a lot of insecticides and a lot of chemical dyes that will really pollute the environment um and destroy nature and even endanger human life um will be associated with the use of like cheap Mm. dyed cotton and often the places where these factories and warehouses are the processing of the the cotton and the crops and the dyeing they're often in lower economic countries Mm. where the ability to handle these issues is much lower as well so if you're even if you're not worried about the environment ethically mm. it's uh it's, it's quite a good one to avoid um and some of the ways that you can kind of make these decisions because it's quite hard to know isn't it if you're in a store where your clothes yeah. have come from so if you know that you've got certain brands that, that the, the ethics and the sustainability and knowing where they've sourced their, their their things from is a real core part of what they do just like stick to those brands mm. so i live in a brand called finisterre who are expensive but they last. They're really well made and they care about where things come from. So I've got fleeces that are made from recycled plastic bottles. I've got fleeces that are even made from recycled mm. wool from whatever that used to be before. They do they do all sorts of good things. But so also brands like Passenger and Rapa Nui and Vivo Barefoot for shoes, things mm. like that will always try and you know that the thought process has gone into all of the things that they make. And then if you, if you do want to shop on high street, I'm not telling you that you can't. Um, so if you walk into say H&M or something and they've got their like conscious range 
I'm into I'm, I'm in two minds about these, right? Because we want like these big retailers are not going to go out of uh, they're not going to go out of business, are they? Really, apart from last year, but that was a global yeah. pandemic. But purely, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but purely based on like environmental appetite, they're not going to go out of business. So what we want them to do is change their practices. Mm. So if they've got two ranges and one of them is supposed to be more eco-friendly than the other and they notice that the consumer demand is leaning towards that, it will help them continue that practice across the rest of their yeah. store, their, everything that they do. However, I would just be aware of uh, some of it can also just be greenwashing mm. because they know sustainability is getting trendy. And just because it says that it's like a little bit greener for the planet doesn't actually mean that it's much greener for the planet at all. But um. Do your research. I, I would <laughs> do your research. <laughs> if you, yeah, if you can be bothered, yeah. So, so those are my um, my top tips for making sustainable clothing choices and being a bit kinder to the planet that we live on through fashion. Yeah. So that was our obvious, all the obvious stuff out of the way. Shall we? Uh, shall we go down a, a random, <laughs> yeah. random? Take me somewhere hole. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we had to, we had to cover yes, it, didn't absolutely. we? Absolutely, and it's really important and that we discuss we're... it. So, so let's go down something a little bit more unusual. So, we're going to talk to you about sewbots. Yes, actual sewing robots. Yeah. How cool! <laughs> yeah. So it turns out that robots or automation of the of the sewing industry. Um, has happened, you know, in terms of cutting out material, even computer assisted design. But it's really difficult to automate the sewing, it turns out. Sewing is quite mm. difficult for a robot to do. Yeah, so there's actually quite a lot of research that's going on to, to try and work out how sewbots can be developed to be able to cope with things like, you know, material will often stretch, mm. which, especially if you're feeding it into a sewing machine, um, you know, often things will, will warp or fold and trying to teach them a robot or a sewbot, <laughs> how to interact with those kind of like the dynamic nature of a lot of fabric is really tricky. Yeah, and I mean, you even see it on, on the sewing bee where you see people really struggling with silky fabrics and things like that because it's slipping mm. as they're trying to sew it. So you can imagine if a robot's trying to do that, that's really difficult because they have to watch and analyse the fabric, look for distortions in the same way we would adjust the fabric like a human would in their place. And that's actually really, mm. really complicated. And experienced sewers will do it without even realising it. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we mentioned this in when we had a chat before, mm. didn't we? My personal belief is that do we need to be developing sewbots or do we just need to be buying less? Because developing sewbots means you can do more, 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 faster, more, more, faster, produce more, yeah, more, yeah. more, more, more. We clearly don't need mm. more. Why don't we just in, invest in the people, pay them properly, nurture their mm. skills, have things produced well? And, and stop feeding this giant machine of fast fashion. But anyway, that's the last time I'll mention it. Um, we'll go, <laughs> we will go back into the weird mm. science. So this, I mean, this isn't the only way that computing is involved in sewing, mm. is it? I think it's time that we maybe talk to a professor in artificial intelligence, shall we? Yes. So we spoke to um, Professor Stefan Leinen, and he was from the University of Applied Sciences in Utrecht, in the Netherlands, mm. which was exciting. Um, and the first thing we asked him was, um, you know, can you define artificial intelligence for us? Because as it turns out, when he did explain it to us, it's a definition that keeps changing over time. Mm. So if you were asking what is AI, say, 20 years ago, the response might have been, well, Google is AI. Mm. And then if you go back even further through history, just computers in general could have been thought of as AI. Mm. 
nowadays, I think when we talk about artificial intelligence, we're talking about um, uh, using data as a uh, tool to build uh, complex models or make complex decisions. Uh, very often, uh, machine learning is involved. So I think the, the question whether we should actually call this or define artificial intelligence this way uh, is a relevant one. So to me, artificial intelligence is more of an ambition. It's the, uh, the dream or the goal uh, to, um, to build an artificial system that either mimics our, our intelligence or uh, is actually intelligent itself. I'm pretty sure that in some decades from now, we'll look at machine learning and say it's just normal software engineering. So um, the reason we contacted you is because you have been involved um, at a conference where you were talking about artificial intelligence and the fashion industry. And for us, that's a, that's a really interesting idea. It's something that doesn't logically spring to mind. Um, so could you talk a little bit about artificial intelligence in the fashion industry? Sure. Uh, and uh, absolutely, it doesn't spring to mind. The question is, why doesn't it uh, spring to mind? Um, Probably because there are some aspects of uh, creativity that are very difficult, if not impossible, to model uh, with, uh, with computers. And I think the more elusive the type of creativity is, the, the more we feel that there's, there's no way that a computer can actually contribute to, uh, well, in this case, fashion design. And I think that makes it exactly why it's interesting. So mm. my, my first uh, attempt at using AI in, in fashion design was when I, um, I was talking to Amber J. Sloten. She works at the Fabricant, she's a virtual fashion designer. We have a common interest in, in, in technology and, and how technology can also sh shapes the things we do and shapes who we are. Um, uh, and we were thinking how uncreative the fashion industry sometimes can be. Uh, so if you look at fast fashion or let's say these, you know, you, you have them in the UK, I'm sure, these, these, yeah. these stores which just sell cheap, relatively cheap fashion. There's no real design, there's no art of design, so to speak, in it. At least that's, what, that's my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. So we're talking about the lack of creativity in, in fashion itself and the, also, of course, the rise of creativity in, in artificial intelligence or the perceived rise of it and how to combine this. So what we, uh, what we set out to do is say, well... What if we build an AI that can predict next year's fashion based on this year's fashion? Oh, um, wow. Then, then uh, as, almost as a thought exercise, well, that proves either two points. Uh, uh, the fashion industry is not very creative or computers are creative uh, mm. or, or both. <laughs> so we, 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 we build a model. Um, it turned out that we couldn't really predict the fashion industry because the AI went off in all kinds of wild directions. Maybe we should have tried, <laughs> tried more. Uh, but interestingly, uh, those directions that the AI took us, uh, they were really inspiring. And so Amber mm -hmm. made a, a whole collection based on, on, on the sort of the output of the algorithm. So that, that really got us thinking about, um, about the sort of collaboration between the human and the computer and the AI human and AI, and, and, and uh, sort of this hybrid creativity that emerges, where a computer can be uh, inspire, inspiring or help you make selections based on some, some kind of criterion. So really like, a, like a, any other tool that we use to be uh, creative. Um, um, and it also showed us that we, we have no idea actually what, what the powers of this tool is and what the limitations are. And so that was uh, almost like a starting point for further exploration. So what this algorithm allowed you to do was basically show it some examples and ask it to generate more of the same. Mm -hmm. But you could change how much randomness was included in the designs that it put out. So you, they would give it several 
photos of dresses from Fashion Week, for example, which was similar enough for it to know which bit was the dress and not the background or the model. Mm -hmm. So that it could generate more dresses and, you know, not the background. Yeah. (laughs) And the way you described it was that if you imagine all of the data of all of those dresses you put in as kind of like a cloud, you could ask it to create the most average dress using all of that data that's Mm. in that cloud. And if you did that, it would always give you the same dress. You know, if Mm. you were taking the average, it would always give you the same dress. But then you could ask it to create a dress based on a different point in the cloud. So this would be Mm. similar, but varied. And if you asked it to do an even more, you know, introduce even more randomness into it and use data from not only in the cloud or from other places, you'd get even wackier ideas. So it's about moving away from the average to be more creative. Mm. So the problem with this system is that you'll potentially end up with lots of like really interesting, crazy and original ideas, which is, and you know, original ideas is what we often see as like a key part of creativity mm. and design. Yeah. But there's no concept, he said, of, of value. So the computer doesn't necessarily understand our culture and our design and the way that we would view those lens in terms of, of good or bad. Mm. So what you kind of have to do is keep adding more criteria, adding more metrics to this very complicated sound of maths. And eventually it will kind of learn what is viewed as good and bad and start producing ideas that people might genuinely like. So you're basically like using the maths to be a designer and to help design in a very different way. You just give it loads and loads of different criteria and see what it comes up with that you might not have done yourself. So if you, let's say you were a designer and you thought, I'm going to do um, a set that's inspired by nature, for example. If you gave the AI the parameters of this is what a dress is and then gave it some inspiration from nature, it would be able to pull those points together to design something that was in, was inspired by both of those elements. Yes. Mm. Uh, I think, I think uh, um, last week, I'm not sure if I would have uh, been able to utter such a resounding yes, <laughs> uh, but this is how fast the field moves. So a couple of days ago, I think, there was this research shown by uh, OpenAI, uh, which was called Delhi. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they said, well, we can have a text prompt and then based on this text prompt, we generate an image. And so you could say, I want to see a snail that's made out of a harp. And then it actually shows you the sort of the, the structure and texture and color of a snail. But then uh, on the back of his, of his body is actually a harp. And it's sort of nicely interwoven. It's a perfect example of uh, combinatorial creativity. So it's a bit similar to what I said with the point cloud. You mm-hmm. could take an average of a point cloud, but you could also take the average of two point clouds. And then you come up with, oh, with something right. in, this, okay. in this space. Yeah. So it's, so this is an entirely new sort of design space, way of, of, of thinking about designs, having this stuff uh, generated uh, for you. So basically, we just mm-hmm. hadn't cottoned ah. on. <laughs> we hadn't cottoned on to how AI could actually be used in fashion. No, and, and wasn't that amazing? You know, snails and harps. I mean, who'd have put those together? But, how you know, bizarre, yeah. It's really weird, isn't it? But yeah, well worth, well worth doing. An, an interesting set of images if you can find them. Really, really good. Mm. <laughs> so one of the questions then is, you know, would people actually buy AI-designed clothes? You know, how would they feel maybe about AI being designed in the process? Mm. I mean, I would have thought that at the beginning the novelty of having AI designed your clothes, if you were aware of it, would be quite exciting and maybe people would buy it. Mm. But my other thought was, I don't think we really think about who designs our clothes in the first place, do we? No, like the I consumer guess... journey is just, oh, this looks nice. It will look nice on me and it's within whatever I want to pay for it. Mm. I will have it. Yeah. There's no concept of, 
you know, unless you're like really rich and you're wearing like name brand name kind of yeah. mm. so-and-so has dressed me for the Oscars, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> nobody nobody cares who's <laughs> who designed your jumper, do they? So no, that's true, AI yeah. could be being used and you wouldn't even really think about it, would you? No, and it's and it is being used in other ways at the moment, AI. So it's been used to assist stylists with recommending items. So what it'll do is it'll use your order history um, in order to work out, you know, what size are you, what style do you like, what price are you willing to pay. Mm. Um, but it also can look at things like Pinterest, you know, if you've if you've chosen particular images oh, okay. or particular pieces of clothing, and it can make recommendations based on that. So so it's just whether those outcomes from the AI are suitable or not oh well done suitable suitable maybe suitable that's a good that's a good point actually so now that you mention it that depop the app that i use to get a lot of clothes secondhand Mm. does it does suggest things for you i know you're right that'll be it it'll be based on the things that i've liked or purchased it's a little bit bit, bit, bit like the old youtube's videos and sometimes it'll you'll buy something random and then that'll be karen you've watched 12 hours of cat videos (laughs) would you like another one exactly (laughs) half a baby panda (laughs) so have you ever heard of the echo look now before we'd carried out the research for this program i had not no No. well me neither but the internet is uh full of wonderful things so this apparently was an echo device or an amazon device which basically gave you style advice that Mm. existed between 2017 2020 and basically it took photos and videos of you when you were showing off your clothes to it and then you could run them through like a style check and this kind of AI automated fashion um, entity would judge what you're wearing and tell you whether you were stylish or not, which sounds, sounds terrifying sounds to me. Sounds horrendous. Yeah, I don't want a machine no. telling me that I can't dress myself. Thank you. No, I know that already for myself. <laughs> no. Um, so actually, there's some people who've uh, carried out some research into people's attitude towards AI and fashion. And what they found was as long as people could perceive it as being useful, mm. then they, they used it. And But as soon as it wasn't useful anymore, they didn't use it. But it didn't change their attitude towards AI in any way. It was all about, is that useful to me? So I suppose it's like your Depop, isn't it? It's, you know, mm. is, are those recommendations That's useful? Exactly if not, you're just going to ignore it, aren't you? Just, just not, you're like, not, like, you're not whole... thinking about whether it's AI or not. No, exactly. Mm. Everything we do nowadays is down to convenience and usefulness, isn't it? Mm. So. Yeah. Um, but actually, so using AI to model fashion is actually quite difficult, apparently. So there's a bit of an issue. The same as we said, um, there was an issue with knowing what is good and what's bad culturally. There's an issue mm. as well, apparently, with matching clothing to each other. So yeah. actually getting AI to pick a top and a bottom that, that would, goes would, would go together in an outfit that yeah. actual people would say was good is really yeah. hard. So there are some researchers using something called game theory to try and solve this problem, apparently, <laughs> and actually teach <laughs> teachers AI what goes and what doesn't who knew Mm. who knew it's amazing isn't it absolutely amazing the future of fashion everyone um on to the next bit then uh so what do we do with our old unwanted clothes you see that only works written down doesn't it that doesn't that didn't work did it doesn't really work (laughs) yeah so what can we do with our old unwanted clothes Mm. Well, I mean, I'd like to say that your puns have got me in stitches, oh. but <laughs> they don't. <laughs> I'm only trying to keep it real. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tragic, aren't we? Oh, they are Let's awful. get back to the unwanted clothes. <laughs> 
So, did you know that unwanted clothes can actually be turned into building materials? This is amazing. This is so cool. I'm really excited. So, after you've gone through that manual process of removing your zippers and your buttons and so on, you can actually basically, like, shred the material, treat Mm. it with loads of chemicals to kind of help all the different fibre types stick together and then compress it under heat to form really solid, useful panels. Yeah, and these are strong, they're water resistant, and you could use them for floor tiles or wall panels, which is amazing. Mm. And other scientists are even trying to work out how to turn them into soft mats and things for heat and noise insulators. So maybe one day, Karen, we could have a soundproof studio (laughs) made from recycled recycled clothing blocks. I love that idea. That would be marvellous, yeah. And as well as turning clothes into items, you Mm. can actually, a lot of companies will turn other items Items into into clothes clothes, in the first place which is great so for example if i can i think i've already named drop finish there haven't Mm. i with their with their recycled fleeces Mm. but also um once when i so i've got an inflatable kayak and Mm -hmm. a small part of it basically ripped um and i didn't know what to do with this great big piece of plastic Mm -hmm. had a quick google and found a bag company that Mm. makes waterproof bags for adventures um, and you just send it off to them, and then it's, then it's got a second life. Really cool. So it was not not completely wasted. It's such a durable thing. Yeah. It would persist in landfill. Let me tell oh, you. Oh goodness! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's cool, yeah. isn't it? And it was just a small little company. Um, mm. But there are, there are much bigger ones. So there's one, for example, I found called Rareform, who make duffel bags um, mm. out of the plastic canvas used in big advertising billboards. Wow! So as soon as your advertising campaign is over. This massive sheet of plastic is never used again, is it? So now it's got a second life. And because they're all saved from landfill and because they're all from different parts of different billboard campaigns, they're all totally unique, which I think is is, is really cool. Yeah. Isn't that really good? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we've managed to go on to our, we're into the odd, odd research stage of the programme now, I think, aren't we? We always you end with, with a section on what weird mm. papers can Karen find in Google Scholar? <laughs> what, what have I found <laughs> this week? Um, <laughs> I love this bit, I love this bit. So uh, firstly, you can make artificial mussels from polymers that you would normally use to make fishing line and sewing thread. This is mad. It's amazing, isn't it? So basically, if you twist um, this kind of sewing thread eventually you'll get to a stage where it coils up and it forms Mm. a coil. And then if you put all these different coils together, you can actually form um, an actuator that can be triggered by a number of different stimuli. So that's basically an artificial muscle. And that's, that's quite amazing. And there's also quite a lot of research looking into things like high speed sewing and uh, the other factors that will affect the kind of tensile properties of, of sewing threads. Yeah, because um, if, you know, we talked earlier about sewbots and if if these sewbots are sewing the material really, really quickly, this will have an impact on the thread um, because it will mm. stretch the thread. So the dynamic loading and the thermal loading will have an impact on it and it can reduce the strength of the thread by 30 to 40 percent. So, I mean, why is this important? Well, the strength of a seam of a garment mm. depends on the strength of the thread. So yeah. if you're lowering the strength of the thread you'll make a really weak seam, your garment will be less durable. Mm. So if you're sewing at quite a high speed, you know, using these sewbots, it might end up causing clothes to to fall apart sooner. Yeah, which is not good. So I think we ought to finish on uh, the Ignobles, haven't we? Do you know what? The Ignoble prizes are getting a lot of airtime this series. Yes, it's wonderful, amazing. If you've never had a chance to have a look, do have a look at the winners because it is brilliant. Um, So we had found a couple of papers from 2016 that won the Ignoble um, to do with materials. So one of these was a study back in the 1990s um, and they looked at the effect of wearing polyester, cotton or wool trousers 
on the sex life of rats. <laughs> the way you do. So poor old rats wearing trousers made uh. of polyester. What's that about? Anyway, um, so the so the polyester containing pants uh, generated electrostatic potentials, um, and the other the other fabrics didn't. Nobody and wants electrostatic potentials near the genitals, no, do they? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and what these potentials seemed to do was they induced an electrostatic field in the intrapenile structures. <laughs> And this this uh, is what they think uh, caused um, a decrease in the rat's sexual activity. Well, it would, oh, wouldn't okay. it? You know, you, nobody wants an electrostatic field in their intrapenile structure. <laughs> oh, the things, <laughs> things that this podcast makes us say. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Um, uh, no, you, you certainly don't want that. No, no. But moving on from rats, they actually mm. did a similar test on human males <laughs> Which using is what they called a polyester sling. Mm. Mm. And what they found was that fertile men could be rendered azoospermic, which basically means that the motility of the sperm in the semen is gone. So you've, you've got the sperm, <laughs> but they're not swimming. They're not, they're not really doing very much. And this occurred an average of 139 days after wearing this polyester sling. So these chaps were, they were donning this garment for some serious time. Yeah, absolutely. But it was a similar thing. So the electrostatic potentials were built up by friction between the polyester and the, the scrotal skin. Um <laughs> But one of the, one of the interesting thing was was yes, it had an impact on their fertility, but they they did still conclude that it was safe because it was completely reversible. Mm. So as soon yeah. as men stopped wearing this uh, polyester sling, um, their kind of fertility and their sperm motility would return. So they they, they kind of um, the big question there is could we use a polyester <laughs> sling <laughs> as a you know an, an inexpensive method of contraception, contraception. in men? And they actually, you know, part of this study, what they actually did was the, the women in the study were using contraceptives up to the point at which the sperm no, was no longer motile. Mm. And then at that point, the women stopped taking the contraceptives and they didn't get pregnant. So it showed that it, in theory, could be used as a contraceptive technique. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Mm. Definitely. Saw it Very first. strange. Good place to end on. <laughs> yes i think it probably is let's not dive any deeper into that you know what we need to do now we need to have a little look at the sewing terms that we managed to sneak in mm, so we had bursting at the seams mm -hmm. thready to go are you thready to go? this was my favorite <laughs> so sheer path yeah the sew ones were a little bit tricky, weren't they? They didn't work quite as well. But they would so they would do better have. on like a gift card, wouldn't they? Yeah, a I visual think so. Joke. Yes, a visual <laughs> joke. Uh, cottoned on. Yeah, I like that one. Suitable. Mm, also good. Sew. S e w didn't really work. No. Um, I I did because I didn't have you in stitches. You did not. I didn't know um, because I was just trying to keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear awful awful sewing puns we do apologize but we hope you got them all hopefully i think we laughed at all of them so we weren't they weren't very subtle were they so lovely listeners we will mm. see you next week but of course if you just can't wait for that you can binge yeah. all of seasons one and two of small screen science yes definitely and if i may back on my soapbox for a very small 
mm-hmm. small second. Um, we chatted a lot about environmental issues today yes, and trying yeah. to live a little bit more sustainably. So if that tickled your fancy, um, I actually have another podcast which I host with my friend Lloyd, which is all about nature, sustainability, climate change and environment issues. And basically what we do is we take an issue, we break it down, we make it way more digestible and we try and give you solutions for dealing with that. So, you know, we've looked at fast fashion before, we've also looked at things like rewilding, carbon storage and even the sustainability of your average tea and coffee. Nice. mm. Yeah, we're all big fans of tea and coffee. Yeah. So that podcast is called For What It's Earth and you can find it on all good podcast platforms. Marvellous. And if you want to keep up to date with what we're up to and enjoy some bonus content over on our Instagram, which is at smallscreensci-pod, you can follow us on Twitter at smallscreensci and Facebook at smallscreensci as well. And it's worth following us, actually, because we're we're looking at doing a couple more live shows. So if you're interested Mm. in in seeing us at some live shows, follow us on our social medias because uh, we'll keep you up to date. Be the first to know what's happening. Um, And if you really, really like the show, please consider um, contributing a small amount. So we're talking a coffee, you know, a coffee a month um, to support us on Patreon to help us with the podcast because we're we're a not-for-profit podcast. So it'd be great if you could support us. That would be amazing. Um, And we we do monthly audio and video bonus bundles for you. So we we produce those and you you can have a listen to content that we can't fit into the show, which would be amazing. And don't forget, of course, to make sure that you have subscribed to Small Screen Sites if you're new here on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode because you wouldn't want to do that. No. And while you're there, of course, go on. Leave us a nice little review. It really actually helps us find new listeners. Yeah, it really does. So please, please review our shows if you're enjoying them. Thank you. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.